invite you that you would open your Bible tonight as we prepare for communion to the book of Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. Tonight's a special night. We go to communion. We remember the cross. We remember the, the cup, the new covenant. We remember the body of Christ on the cross. But not only do we go to the cross for forgiveness, know this, or for restoration or for repentance, but we also go to the cross for surrender. And I want you to remember that tonight, that that's exactly what we need to remember, our forgiveness, but also His love, and in that as a response, our surrender to the Lord. And we see that in Genesis chapter 27, that a surrender is needed. A surrender is needed in every one of our lives. Because here we look at the life of Isaac after being a man who put himself on the altar of obedience to the Lord. There in Genesis chapter 22, the Moriah moment. He willingly placed himself as the son that would be the sacrifice on the altar as Abraham took that walk with him. And that son who willingly and obediently set himself to be the sacrifice, who then later on trusted the Lord to bring him a wife, who then loved the wife that God brought him, and then both Isaac, the son of promise, and Rebekah, his wife, both knew how to seek the mind of the Lord. Now, even after all of this, the son of promise, Isaac, and Rebekah, his wife, substitute scheming, notice what they do, for believing. And so many times in our lives, we know what to do, we know the truth, we know the will of God, but we substitute scheming for believing. Instead of trusting in God, we trust in our own strength. We trust in our own plans. We trust in our own agenda. We trust in getting things done our way. And that's exactly what you see Isaac and Rebekah wanting to do here. They wanted to get things done their way. It's very important that we remember this so that we don't become those people that are frustrated, striving against the will of God. You see, today we want to come to the place where we say, Lord, we're not going to strive. Lord, we want to surrender. Today we do not want to strive against God's will. We want to surrender to God's will for our lives. You know, as I was reading this chapter, I was thinking about how many practical things we can learn from the life of Isaac and Rebekah. And here's one thing we can learn here from Genesis chapter 27 is this. God does not want you to have the blessing by disobedience. God does not want us to try to inherit the blessing in disobedience. We do not have to, in our own strength, have to manufacture the results for ourselves. God is in charge of that. We, we are patiently waiting and trusting in the Lord, trusting in His plan. Number two, what we see here through Genesis 27 is that we are not to try to strive or to force something for ourselves that's not of God. How many times have you found yourself striving against God's will for something that you want for yourself when it's not of God? And too many times, that's the temptation. We want something for ourselves, so we strive and we try to force it, and we want to get it, and it's for ourselves. It's to bring us pleasure when that is not God's will for our lives. You see, one of the things that we see here through Isaac and Rebekah is that we are to learn 
to submit to God's plan, to submit to God's purpose, but notice this also, to submit to God's process. How God unfolds that plan in our lives. And we're to submit to it without objections, without rebellion, without kicking against the goads, wanting to do it our own way. Notice, you may try to reject God's will, resist God's will, maybe rebel against God's will, but you'll know this as we read the Bible and we submit to the authority of Scripture that God still will accomplish His purpose. No matter what we do, He will accomplish His purpose. You know what the tragedy is here? That they suffered because they insisted on working against God's work and against God's wisdom. And I want to really give you a warning today that you would not insist to work against the wisdom of God. You know what that brings? Suffering, heartache, trouble, pain. Because we're striving against the wisdom and the will of God to obtain something for ourselves our own way. In fact, we titled the message tonight, A Masterpiece in Pieces. Here was a masterpiece plan that God had for this family. And it is temporarily in pieces because they want to receive God's blessing for themselves their own way. They started off with a good beginning. But how many of us know even tonight a good beginning doesn't guarantee a good ending? You can start well, but it doesn't mean you'll finish well. And we've heard it many times be said, it's not how you start, it's how you finish and today we want to finish the right way a good beginning does not guarantee a good ending that's what we have to trust the lord every step of the way keep our eyes on jesus not try to serve the flesh today we say lord we're coming to the cross for surrender so that we can walk in the power of the holy spirit not in the power of the flesh you see isaac you see rebecca here you see Jacob walking in the power of the flesh. We want to die to the flesh so that we walk in obedience to Jesus. And notice what happens here. You see in the first four verses, Isaac's decline, the son of promise, his decline. Let's find out what happens here. Genesis 27, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I'm old, and I don't know the day of my death. Now therefore, please, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you because you have important lessons you want to teach us regarding surrender. That you have important lessons that you want to teach us regarding submission. Lord, whatever objections we have today, whatever we're wrestling with, whatever we're holding on to, maybe we're trying to force something in our lives that's not of you, striving, pressuring, pushing forward in the energy of the flesh, that today we no longer would do that. That we would surrender, Lord, to what your Spirit has for us. That we would submit to your will for our lives. That we would not try to accomplish in the flesh what only you can do in the Spirit. 
And we pray this all in Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. Now look here in, ver- in the first four verses, Isaac's decline. And it says here in verse 1 that it came to pass when he was an old now man, and his eyes were so dim that he couldn't see. In fact, here we come to a place in Isaac's life where he's blind now. And he calls his oldest son Esau, which means Harry. And his son responds, and his son says, here I am. So then what Isaac says is, I don't know when I'm going to die, but I want to set my affairs in order. I want to set my affairs straight. He thought he was going to die any day. In fact, he ended up living another 43 years after this moment. But he thought, this is it. This is the time. I need to set things straight according, notice, to my own knowledge. I need to set things straight according to my own understanding. What does the Bible say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Isaac is leaning on his own understanding. He says, I need to build my own exit strategy. Be careful that you don't have your own agenda. That you don't have the agenda as to what you want for your life, but you're saying, Lord, your will, not my will be done. And here what happens is that he's blind now. And one of the problems here that happens in his family is that everyone wants something for themselves. So the entire family takes advantage of Isaac, not only because he's weak in his age, but also because he's blind. And they surround him and they manipulate Isaac. Why? Because everyone is pursuing the appetites of their own flesh. Everyone has a selfish intention. Notice what happens here in verse 3. It says, Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. I want you to circle the words for me. Because Isaac himself is also thinking about himself. He's thinking about what's going to satisfy the carnal desires of his flesh. Go out, take your quiver, take your arrow, take your weapon, and hunt in the field for who? For me. Make me my favorite dish. Now, not only is he old and blind, but he's hungry. (laughs) And it says there in verse 3, he says, Make me this savory food such as I love. Bring me my favorite meal. You see, he thinks he's about to die, and the only thing that's on his mind is my favorite meal one last time. It's sad when a man's body is dominating his soul. It's a problem when your life, when your appetites of your flesh is dominating, the flesh is dominating the spirit. And he's being controlled here by those carnal appetites, not simply by food, I want you to know this, but also by desire. Hear this man here saying, give me my favorite food. It's interesting to note that later on, his wife Rebecca is the one that made it, and he couldn't even tell the difference. But here Isaac is requesting for his food. He's thinking about himself. And he says this there in verse 4, that I may eat that, and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now notice here, not only is he thinking about himself, but he says, I want to pronounce the blessing that belongs to you or the firstborn before I die. There's a problem here in verse 4. And the problem is that God said that the younger would serve the older. And Isaac knew this. 
So now he's behaving not only in his own understanding, but notice when you begin to trust your own wisdom, you act out in rebellion. God already said the blessing belongs to the younger one. But here what Jacob wants to do, or what Isaac wants to do, he he says, I I don't want to give it to Jacob, I want to give it to Esau. He, He wanted it to bless the one that God had not chosen. You see, it's interesting because in Genesis chapter 25, you started to notice that God had told Sarah or Rebecca and Isaac that I have chosen the younger to have the blessing Jacob and the older Esau would then serve the younger. In fact, to the point that Esau was a carnal man, he despised the birthright. He sold it to his brother for a pot of stew. He then married pagan wives, breaking now the covenant that God had for the people to not marry the women of that land. And Isaac here knows all of these things, but he's still acting out in rebellion. Now notice what happens. He didn't call his wife. He didn't call the family to be there as a part of the blessing. He's doing this secretly as if he knows he's doing something wrong. You see, sometimes we think, well, I'm going to get away with it because I'll behind the scenes, set up my plan, devise my agenda so that I come out winning. We know very quickly, as you're a child of God, that never works. Here, Isaac puts himself ahead of God. That's the danger. And be careful, you never get ahead of God. Because he's disobeying God's commands. God has clearly stated that Esau is not the one that would receive the blessing. But he's behaving like a worldly, like a carnal man, like a a backslidden Christian that is going after their own carnal desires. What does that mean? That he's stubborn. Sometimes we behave that way as well. God says, I want you to do this one thing, and we're stubborn. No, we're going to do what we want. We become like the son of promise acting out in the flesh. What is he saying? I'm going to bless Esau. I'm going to give him the blessing. But he knew that God had called Jacob. I want you to know something tonight. You can't put in what God has left out. You can't force something on someone that God hasn't called them to do. You can't force a calling on a person when God hasn't put that calling on them. You can't do whatever you can in your own strength or energy to try to make it happen if God is not in it. You know what happened? Esau has sold his spiritual birthright. He intermarried with the pagan women of that land. Isaac knew this, and he still wanted him for the special blessing. What does the Bible say in Proverbs 19.21? Notice it says this, There are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. You can have your own plan, you can have your own agenda, your own desires, and saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to get this done, but nevertheless, the Lord's counsel will stand. You know what happened here with Isaac? It seems that he rejected this godly thinking. He rejected spiritual wisdom. He rejected waiting on the Lord, trusting in the Lord, and instead he thought about what he wanted more, and he was focused on man-centered ideas, the natural man over the spiritual man. And sometimes that becomes us as well. We're upset that God did not choose a way for us that we would have chosen for ourselves. 
that, that we didn't get the results that we wanted or, or that, that God did not choose what we preferred. And you know what that demonstrates when we don't submit to what God wants for our lives? It demonstrates that we don't really trust him. Because when God has chosen something for us, notice, it's because he knows what's best for our lives. We shouldn't try to strive against what God is saying. Try to fight against it. You see, he was trusting in his own senses instead of believing in God, instead of obeying God's word, what God had already said. And you notice here, later on in this chapter, what happens here is that he's trusting his own senses. He's depending upon literally his senses, his, his touch, his smell, his taste. That's exactly what he's being led from, what he can hear. You see, he's trusting in his own senses instead of believing God's word. Any type of man or woman of God trying to lead their family depending upon their own senses is the reason why families fall apart. I thought this was a good idea. This seemed like something that was good. Other people told me this would be great for me instead of waiting on the Lord and depending upon the wisdom that is from above. Be careful that you don't lean upon your own understanding because you'll find out very quickly how weak you really are. And you'll become lost. You know what faith means as we're learning about the school of faith? It means obeying God regardless of how you feel. It means obeying God regardless of what you think or what may happen. You're submitted to God's plan. But something happens here as Isaac, here the man of the house, is acting out in rebellion. He's acting out in the flesh. He's not being a good example. He's not yielding to the spirit. So his wife also behaves the same way. And it says here, now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau. What was she doing? Like a faithful wife? Overhearing. And she overhears this conversation. And you see Rebekah's deception. As she's overhearing the conversation between Isaac and Esau, she listened, and she also wanted her own plan. She also said, but I want something else to happen. So it tells us here in verse 5 that Esau went to the field to hunt for game and to bring it. He went to hunt to bring that meal for his father to receive that blessing, even though he already had sold it to his younger brother, Jacob. And what happens here with Rebecca? She overhears and she begins to scheme. You know what it means to scheme? To interfere. To put the fingerprints of man or to put your own fingerprints in God's plan and start to try to interfere or to tamper or to manipulate a situation to favor your way. Sometimes we try to do that. We try to control the narrative. We try to control the outcome. We want to make something sound spiritual when it's not. It's deception. It's false. It's a work of the flesh. And Rebecca's doing this very same thing. She's scheming because she goes now to Jacob, and notice what she says. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. She went to Jacob, started to conspire, started to scheme. I heard here the instructions that he gave to Esau to bless him. But notice as she continues here, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, according to to what I command you. She's saying, I want you to do what I tell you. Obey my voice. You know what the problem is? When we start to say, obey my voice, 
instead of obey the voice of God. It quickly leads to compromise. Obey my voice. I have an agenda. I have a plan. I have my own way of solving things. You want to solve a problem that's taking place in your life right now? Do not try to solve it in your own strength. You know what the best way of solving a problem is? Surrendering at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where every answer is solved. That's where every problem finds a solution, at the feet of Jesus Christ. And it tells us here as we continue reading, now go to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of goats, and I'll make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father and he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. Now do you see here how she's scheming, how she's manipulating, how she has her own plan? She's trying to convince here Jacob to deceive her own husband. She's using Jacob to deceive her husband. Notice, this is the example of a strong-willed, selfish woman. In this example, she's trying to get her way. She's going to do whatever it takes to get my way. Now, Isaac here, the man of the house, did not use spiritual discernment because he was rebelling against God. And he was more milder. He was more submissive in the home. You can see what happens here. But she wanted to take advantage of him. I want to deceive him. I want to have my way. Rebecca, it's been said, is the story of the unsurrendered wife. Why? Because she was crafty. Let me make my own plan. Obey my voice instead of obeying the voice of God. And here now Jacob is committing a sin because he's following the lead of his selfish mother. What does it tell us here as we look at these verses? That you can do spiritual things in a carnal way. Jacob was the son that God would use to bless Isaac through. But you can't accomplish in the, in the flesh what God has ordained in the spirit. You don't need to try to help God. Here she thinks, well, you know, Isaac is going to here give the blessing to Esau. And God already has said, as he even favors Jacob, that Jacob is the one that God would use to bring this promise. She is now wanting to now get God's promises accomplished in her own strength. You know, one of the things that we need to remember as we look at this is that God does not need your help. Sometimes we say, Lord, I know you gave me that verse, and I wrote it down, and Lord, you're in heaven, I'm here on earth, I'll get it done down here. But God doesn't need your help. You can know the Word of God, you can, you can know the will of God, but the question is this, are you doing it the way of God? Or are you doing it your way? Because as she's devising, as she's conspiring here behind the scenes, instead of trusting God to fulfill what He has promised. And notice, she wants to get God's promises accomplished, and not only God's promises, but likely her personal preferences accomplished here on earth. Well, what must we remember today? Leave God's promises in God's hands. If it's of the Lord, it's going to come to pass. You don't need to get involved. You don't need to strive. You don't need to scheme. You don't need to manipulate. You don't need to be crafty behind the scenes to get what you want for yourselves. If it's a promise of God, you do not need to strive. If it's of the Lord, it will come to pass. You do not want to accomplish something in the work of the flesh when God only does that in the Spirit. Now notice what Jacob says in verse 11. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. 
and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and and it will seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. He goes to his mother and says, you know what, I'm hairy, or he's hairy, and I'm smooth, and I don't want to be discovered in deception. You see, as a scoundrel, which his name would have meant scoundrel or deceiver here, Jacob, he's saying, I'm willing to go with it. I'm just concerned if we're going to actually succeed. (laughs) And notice here what Jacob is doing. He's not trusting in the Lord either, but he's going the way of the flesh. His concern is not, is this right? But his concern is, is this safe? You know, when when our attention, when our focus shifts from, is this right, instead of thinking that to is this safe, we're going to begin to compromise our convictions. We sometimes think when we're doing things, we want to do them in the flesh, and we somehow make up this 11th commandment that in our mind says, thou shall not get caught. The Bible never says that. It's not about is this safe. Remember that, is this right? It's not about can I get away with this and succeed. It's about is this right? And here he's thinking, what if my dad finds out and he sees me as a deceiver now? He'll curse me instead of bless me. But notice his mom, how she's insistent. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only, again, obey my voice and go get them for me. She's also acting in a stubborn rebellion against God's Spirit. She couldn't trust God to fulfill His plan, so she said, I need to help Him out because it is for a good cause. Have you ever been tempted by the flesh to say, you know what, just get this done. Nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to find out. It's for a good cause. It's to conserve the peace. It's to protect the peace. It's to continue the work going forward. But you're doing things the wrong way behind the scenes. That is never an exception to justify hypocrisy. That is never an exception to justify compromise. There is no place for deception in the life of the believer. Remember that there is no place for deception in the life of the believer. David would say this in Psalms 32 verse 2. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Blessed is that man who God knows that there is no sin in him and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There is no lies. He's not behaving deceitfully. He behaves truthfully in all that he does. And I want to ask you today, are you behaving truthfully behind the scenes in everything you're doing? Or are you trying to set up something that's going to work on your behalf? I think it's important that we consistently ask ourselves, is this right, not is this safe? Notice in verse 14 what happens as this plan unfolds. It says, and he went... And got them and brought them to his mother. And notice what happens here in verse 14. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of his elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and she put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands, on the smooth part of his neck. And she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. I want you to look at those verses and you start to notice this was all a work that was done by her doing. It was what she did. She made the savory food. She took the choice clothes. She put them 
on her son Jacob. She put the skins of the kids and the goats of her hands on the back of his neck. She gave him the savory food and she prepared it into his hand. This is all what she has to do to accomplish what she wants. You see how much you have to do, how much you have to work in your own strength and energy to try to get something on your behalf? It's so awesome that the Bible tells us that we don't have to work in the flesh to receive even our salvation. It's a gift of God. We don't have to strive for it. We don't have to work for it in the energy of the flesh. It is given to us by the Spirit as a free gift because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't have to try to strive to be in a place that God has not called us to be in. We don't have to strive to attain something and work and get frustrated and get so tired because we're doing something for ourselves that God didn't say. We're trying to keep something alive or keep something going that that's God's Spirit's not in anymore. I like what Pastor Chuck said in, of Calvary Chapel's ministries. If you strive to gain, you strive to maintain. When it's a work of the Spirit, there is no striving. And here she's tempted to try to accomplish in the flesh, what God was doing in the Spirit. But notice what happens here. This is the definition of striving because she didn't trust in the promises of God. And one of the things for us to notice here is that you do not get God's blessings by telling lies. That's not how we enter into the blessed life that God has for us, into the promises of God. And notice, it's not only Isaac, it's not only Rebecca, it's also Jacob here. The entire family is acting out in a man-centered wisdom and energy according to the wisdom and the energy of the flesh themselves. The entire family. They weren't trusting the Lord. They weren't trusting themselves. They're all walking behind the scenes in a way that is so crafty because they all want something different. Just think about it, even if Isaac would have given Esau the blessing. He could have given the, the, him the blessing a hundred times over. But if it wasn't honored by God, it made no difference. So notice what happens here because this is Jacob's defense in verse 18. So he went to his father and said to my father, he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Notice here, Jacob comes to deceive his father. I did just as you told me. Eat, give me the blessing. Notice, number one, what did he lie about? He lied about his name. He lied about his identity. He lied about his identity to receive something that God already had given him. And not only did he lie about this, but he continues here. And he speaks to us because he has this conversation with his father. And it says here in verse 20, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? I, I just told you, and you're already back with it. And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. One lie, one compromise that leads quickly to another lie. How dangerous it is when you tell a lie and notice to cover that lie, what do you have to usually do? Tell another lie. And you've entered into a web of deception here. And notice what happens here. It's one lie to sustain another one. It's a trap that you put yourself in that's difficult to get out. And the saddest thing about this here in verse 21 and verse 20 is that he uses the Lord to cover up his sin. Yes, I did it, but because it was for the Lord. 
or uses the Lord's name. Notice what happens here. You, you can't justify this type of behavior just because you have a calling on your life. Some people say, well, I have a calling on my life. I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, Jacob had a calling of his life, but he still was accountable to do things in the Spirit. He still was accountable to obey the Lord. You don't use the term, the name, the title, the Lord, to cover up our sin. You don't say, well, you know what? I'm going to do it for the Lord, so it's okay for me to compromise. In verse 21, it said, Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. He says, come close. He, he wasn't convinced. I need to feel you. Notice, I, I can hear you, but I want to feel you. And he lies about his identity. He lies about his love. And he says here, so Jacob went near Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And he said, this is the voice of Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't have peace about it. He said, there's something wrong here. And of course, he's blind. He can't see. He's being fooled. He's being led by his senses, but he can't spiritually see. Notice, oftentimes ourselves. And we're deceived because we're going by our senses instead of saying, Lord, lead me. Give me spiritual sight to know between what is truth and what is a lie and he didn't recognize it but he still blessed him notice what happened and he did not recognize him because his hands were very hairy like his brother esau's hands so he blessed him you know it's interesting as we look here at isaac is that he asked two times is it really you he felt him he didn't have peace but he still went and he did it i think we have to pay attention to the warning signs that god gives us if he hasn't given you peace about something, don't enter it. Don't say, I'm just going to feel it out to see if it's of God. Let me just hear how good it sounds. Let me try to taste. Let me try to participate. Let me try to partake to see if it's good for me. Instead of going by the discernment of the Holy Spirit that he's put in your heart life. So notice what happens in verse 24. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? <laughs> he doesn't believe him. He's struggling with this. And he said, I am. And he said, bring it near to me and I will eat my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. He came and he ate the food that he had asked his son for. And his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. Come. Kiss me. He lied about his identity. He's lied about his love for him. And while nobody's discernment is 100% right 100% of the time, we must let the Spirit of God lead us. And when he checks our spirit, says, there's no peace here, then we should not move forward. We should not strive to just get something accomplished because we want it when the Spirit of God is saying otherwise. Verse 27, he came near and kissed them and he smelled them. And it was the smell of the clothing and he blessed them saying, notice the blessing that he gives to him after he smells them as well. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven. He's saying, may God bless you from the rain of heaven. Of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine, may he give you abundance of provision there in verse 28. Of the fatness of the earth. Let the people, verse 29, serve you and the nations bow down to you. This is the blessing he's giving him. Not only provision, but also protection. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you, and blessed are those who bless you. 
What does Isaac here do? In spite of doubting, in spite of not having peace, he acts out in the flesh, wanting to give the blessing to Esau, not knowing it was Jacob. He gives him the promise of provision. He gives him the promise of protection. He makes him the spiritual head of the family. Now what's interesting here is that in his mind, he's wanting to bless Esau, but he's blessing Jacob. You know what the point here also is that we can learn in only 29 verses so far? Is that the sovereign will of God is done regardless in spite of our own personal opposition. You can think that you had a plan, but God will still accomplish his purpose. And God is accomplishing his purpose right here. And notice Esau's despair there in verse 30. Now what happened, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He walks out, another one walks in. You can think about how his father feels here. He's just, he's going to go nuts. And it says here in verse 31, And he also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Lay my father rise and eat for of his son's game that your soul may bless me. He went out, hunted, and brought the food and said, Father, I'm ready. Let your soul bless me now. Eat and drink. But in verse 32, it said, And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. I want you to underline that in your Bible. Trembled exceedingly. You know why he was trembling? Because he was scared. Because he had fear. Because he was confused. And why was he scared? Why did he have fear? Why was he confused? Why did he have no peace? Because he tried to work against the plan of God and he failed. How many times we find ourselves so anxious panicking, paranoid, angry, shaking uncontrollably because the peace of God is not residing in our hearts and we're anxious striving instead of trusting in the plan of God. And we find ourselves so afraid, so troubled uncontrollably that we have no peace instead of giving it to the Lord and surrendering to Him. You think today, if you want the peace of God, you know what we need to do? Surrender and give it to Jesus. Not try to solve it on your own strength. Not try to hold things against someone else in your own heart. Not try to accomplish something in your own power. Notice what happens here. He's trembling uncontrollably. It means that he was panicking. And notice what he says here now in verse 33. Who are you? Where is the one who hunted the game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I blessed him and indeed he shall be blessed. Notice what he realizes at the end of verse 33. He's submitting to the sovereign will of God now. He's saying, indeed, the one that came before you, he's the one that's going to be blessed. Why? Because at this very moment, he realizes that he would always lose when he tries to resist God's will. Indeed, the one that came before you, he will be blessed. He realizes that God's will will always prevail. Even when he didn't like God's will, even when he was acting in arrogance, even when he was acting in pride, he needed to learn that God's will would always prevail. I think we all need to learn sometimes, even when we act in arrogant pride, that God's will is going to prevail regardless of what we do. And in verse 32, it continues, it said, when Esau heard these words, 
of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He starts to cry out. He, he's, he's not crying, notice, in repentance. He's crying here in regret. He's crying here in selfishness. He's crying because he's not going to get what he wanted. Now you have to notice something. Esau already sold his spiritual birthright to Jacob. But you know what he still wanted? The material blessing. And he says, I don't care about the spiritual part of it, but I do want the material blessing. Give me the blessing. The spiritual birthright he had sold, and now he's crying exceedingly because he's not going to get what he wants. How many times have you been there before the Father in prayer, and the Lord says no, and you start to cry and kick because you're not going to get what you want? That's what little kids do, right? <laughs> they throw a fit. And Esau here is throwing a fit, a grown man now, because he realizes that he's not going to get what he wants. And notice what it says here. But he said, your brother came in deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? <laughs> Well, no wonder that's his name. He's a deceiver. And it was interesting here, what Esau says, this is the second time he does this to me. He says, for he has supplanted me, or he has cheated me, he has deceived me these two times. Why two times? The first one, when he took advantage of him, when he was hungry, he sold now his birthright to him. The second time, when he came to deceive the father Isaac or, uh, in order to give him the birthright. And he said, he took away my birthright. Now, look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved the blessing for me? And he pleaded, verse 37. And Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master. And all his brethren have given him as servants with grain and wine. I have sustained or I have provided for him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me also. Bless me, O father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. You see, he had despised the blessing spiritually, but he wanted the material one. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said, and notice how he blesses him here, Esau. We know that the Edomites came out of the nation, or the nation of the Edomites came out of Esau. And Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth. You're going to have to work hard. And if the dew of the heaven from above. By your sword, notice you're going to have to toil and sweat and kill. You will live and you will serve your brother and it shall come to pass when you've become restless from serving Jacob that you shall break his yoke from your neck. There going to be, there's going to be a division between your brother and you. We see how the nation of Israel is split with the Jewish people. And now those that would come against them and their enemies right now, it all begins from the Old Testament here. But notice in verse 41, it happens, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, notice the days of mourning for my father at hand, he's going to die soon. Then I shall kill my brother Jacob. Why, why did he hate his brother? Because of his pride, because of envy, because of jealousy. He has what I want, so I'm going to come against him. He has something that I wanted that, that should have belonged to me. So he wants to kill him. And notice what happens here. These are the consequences of wanting to get things on your own terms. Because here, in verse 42, what takes place, in the words of Esau, now her older son were told to Rebekah, and she went and called Jacob her younger son. She's always overhearing everyone's conversation. 
See, here's now what happens here with Esau. She goes and tells Jacob. And notice what she tells him to do. She, again, creates a master plan for him. And said, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. What was Esau's intention? To kill him, to want to gain revenge. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice again. This is the third time she's saying that. I think it's very important that we pay attention whose voice we're listening to. Are you listening to the voice of man? Or are you listening to the voice of God? Because if you listen to the voice of man, you're going to get in trouble. And flee to my brother Laban and Haran. I want you to run away. She couldn't even see her son anymore. Because when you strive, notice you have to continue striving. You have to continue to try to cover things up in your own strength. And stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, verse 44, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be now bereaved also of you both in one day? Why is it that I should go into this grieving both in one day? What was Esau's plan? Revenge. He was comforting himself in that. You know, even for people that have been wronged, like Esau, and things didn't work out as for Esau, as how he had planned and he hoped for. What did he do? He vowed. He said, I'm going to kill my brother when his, my father dies. And he thought, you know what? His, my father's dying soon. Again, his father lived another 43 years. Sometimes we think, well, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get revenge. And the Bible tells us very clearly, even if we have been wronged, pay attention to this, even if you have been wronged, even if you have been cheated, we leave the case in the hands of God. Romans 12, 21, what does Paul say? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 46 here of Genesis 27, and Rebekah said to Isaac, notice she lies again. She's manipulating her son. She's lying to her husband. She's acting out in the energy in the wisdom of her own understanding, said to her, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. You know what she's saying in the New Living Translation? It says this, I'm sick and tired of these local Hittite women. And she's going to use that to leverage her son moving away. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, which are the daughters of the land in which they currently lived in, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? What is she doing? Trying to control the narrative. She goes and she lies. She's deceptive. She's saying, I'm going to send my son away because I don't want him to marry one of these women when in reality, she was trying to protect him from Esau. You see the division in the home and you see the strife. What does James chapter 3 tell us, verse 13? I want you to just hear this verse. Maybe write this down tonight. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. What should our works be done in the meekness of wisdom? Notice, true wisdom is displayed, number one, in humility. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Don't lie if there's envy in your heart. If there's bitterness in your heart, you're lying against what's true. This wisdom, notice that type of wisdom that you think that you are so wise, 
when you're striving and now fighting against one another, does not descend from above. When you think you're so wise, but you're behaving in carnality, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. For where there's envy, where there's self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. Remember, God is not the God of confusion. He is the God of order. And when there is confusion, it means that it's a work of the flesh. When it's, it's a work of the Spirit, notice things are done decently and in order, but the wisdom that is from above, notice what it says, it's first pure, then what is it? Peaceable. If you're acting in the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that it comes from the Spirit, it's going to be done in a pure way, it's going to be done in, in a peaceable way, and it's also gentle. It's not aggressive, it's not proud, it's not arrogant, it's willing to yield. Full of mercy, what does that mean? You're patient, you're willing to forgive people, and of good fruits. And it's also without partiality. It doesn't prefer one person over the other. It's without hypocrisy. Now the fruits of righteousness are sown in peace by those who make peace. What are you sowing right now? Are you sowing peace because the work of the Spirit is working in your life and heart? Or are you sowing discord? Are you sowing strife because you haven't fully surrendered. What we have to pay attention here is that we should never try to negotiate with the will of God for our lives. Sometimes God says, I'm going to do this, and you try to negotiate with him. And we say, Lord, but no, I want you to do this instead. God's plan is always better than our plan. We have to set our minds not according to the things of the flesh, but set our minds according to the things of the Spirit. And when we do that, notice, we come to the cross and we surrender and we say, Lord, your way is better. Lord, your will, not my will be done. But it starts by obeying. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their mind according to the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, according to the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed it can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Today, if we're walking in the flesh, we can't be pleasing God. And today, that's why we want to come and say, before we take communion, Lord, we surrender to you. We don't want to be, behave in carnality, in the flesh, in the energy of our own strength. Today, we want to die to that, surrender to you, and follow you. The Bible says that he died for those who live. They should not live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. That he died for those who live. They should not live for themselves. You see here Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob living for themselves. God's called us to live for him, not for ourselves. God's called us at the cross to come and deny ourselves and surrender. Let's go ahead and pray.